Hi, this is Cliff Click, and welcome to today's podcast on getters and setters. I sort of stuck my foot in it with a Quora post on why I don't use getters and setters, and there was sort of a firestorm that followed, and it's pretty clear as a backlash against the whole notion of using getters and setters everywhere that had been taught in classes for the last decade. And I have no idea how people got in that zone of use them everywhere. I never use them, and it's blatantly obviously why I don't, and I'm going to break it down for you today why I don't use getters and setters. Okay, so, so let's, let's start with what is the common argument I hear about getters and setters? Hey, it's all about encapsulation. It's all about keeping the implementation separate from the interface. And with a well-designed API, you don't want to getters and setters. You want to define to a higher level API. Okay, stop. You're wrong already. What do you mean a well-defined API? There is no such thing. Yeah, okay, there are. They happen very rarely, and if you're lucky, you know, it happens to you occasionally. What really happens is I'm coding furiously. I'm trying to get something done. I'm trying to make some new code happen. I'm trying to, to solve a problem. I'm trying to get, you know, accomplish a goal. And along the way, I'm writing a lot of crap code because I don't know the right answer up front. I just know that I can get there. So I'm coding furiously, and about a third of the code I write is going to be total throwaway. No point in any kind of documentation, API, or thinking design at all. It's just exploratory code. About a third of code will get butchered badly between when I start and when I finish. And about a third of code is probably something that I started with from somewhere else and I hacked it kind of modestly and it, and it you know, was made to fill in a job. So when I sit back and I look, when I'm sort of done with the task of the moment, I generally find that my code falls in a couple different camps. There's the camp of code that's really trashy and it's experimental and sitting off to the corner, I'm probably going to ditch it. And then there's a camp of code which... Well, however it was laid out, there's only one user of it. It's my other piece of code over here. Effectively, it's all implementation, not interface, even though it might span multiple objects and multiple you know, class boundaries and multiple whatever. Ultimately, when I got done hacking, it could all be run together. It's all part of implementation. And then there's some other piece of code that I borrowed on or leaned on pretty heavily that maybe I didn't like the API quite so nice. And I have to look at it and say, this code might want a better API, but mostly it's okay as it stands. And that's the point where I say, you know, when do I put an API on a piece of code? And my general rule of thumb is when there are three sort of real different users. If there's just one user, it's not an API, it's an implementation. You got one user, you got one caller, you got one implementation, that's it, it's an implementation. And you can rewrite those boundaries however you like and no one else will care. That's implementation. You got two users, you probably got a lot of cut and paste floating around, and it's annoying, but you're moving fast. Um, but when you start to get to three users, yeah, now it turns into, well, there's some technical debt building up, and I don't want yet another cut and paste version of it. So it's time to go think about an API. And then I'll sit down and stare at the code I'm calling and try to find a right kind of boundary and build a reasonable API, given that I have three users. Um, and maybe over time, that comes to four, and eight, and ten users, and I've totally had code that has gone from, you know, just one user, me hacking away, to 20 other engineers calling it from 20 different places in the code, and they're all like, well, why the hell did you do an API? Well, I didn't do an API up front, because there was just one user to begin with, and the API was discovered over time, but hey, this is the right way to break it down. So the API changed a lot, and eventually it narrowed down, became this clean, tight interface that everyone loved, but it didn't start that way. Okay, so along this progression of getting a better API, you start to want to encapsulate the implementation from the users so that you could change things under the hood because people are coming at it from different directions now, there's different use cases, and you could clearly see the API 
it, you know, in camp place, uh, it has some high-level concepts that everyone loves, but the implementation might be a little awkward for all the users, and so you're busy trying to speed it up on this or that or handle some other kind of case. And now the implementation really does want to be different from the API, and you want to have a well-defined API. And then what does that have to do with getters and setters? Well, you want to code to an API here, not to the notion of getters and setters. So it could be the case that I have a function call which you know the implementation is return a single instance variable. Is that a getter? No, it's part of the API. It's the API just happens to be implemented by a single field load that looks like a getter, but it's not a getter, it's an API call. I'm returning the size of a hash table. It turns out that it's a field that I'm gonna load in this implementation. Some other implementation might do something else to go get the size of a hash table or the container class or whatever it's gonna be. You know what I'm saying? It's not just a getter, it's an implementation of high-level functionality. That said, you know, what, what other places do people talk about getters and setters? I find that, you know, I do a lot of concurrent algorithms for which immutability is like fantastic. So I do a lot of final fields, okay? If I do a lot of final fields, in my opinion, they do not need a getter because you can't change the damn thing. You can just read it. So you've exposed an implementation that doesn't require an open closed break, uh, you know, parens after the, the, the mention of the method in order to get the value. It's cleaner looking code. It doesn't have the extra obfuscation of open closed parens, but it gives you the same feel just the same as the function call would. Okay, how about setters? Okay, now we're getting into, you know, why setters are bad, and it's just the same reason that any other state modification is bad. You need to think about your state modification. If you got a single user and it's you, then it's just an implementation, and now you don't need a setter because you're just dorking with your own implementation. Maybe it spans call boundaries because or class boundaries or whatever, because that's where you're at in your state of your implementation. You're furiously coding, trying to go solve some problem. You haven't bothered to, to reorder everybody back into the one big implementation class or whatever the heck. So yeah, poke away at, at the insides of it. It's all yours to poke with anyhow. What if it's like a bunch of people using it and it needs to have an API? Well, ask yourself, what is that API? And the set call isn't about setting a field. It's about calling a high-level API. And, and so, you, in my opinion, you don't need a setter or getter for, for you know, either one of these. Instead, if it's a high-level API, it's a high-level API call. So then we get into the appearance of code. So, so the getters and setters have this other problem for me, and that is they obfuscate the meaning of the code. And the meaning in two ways is both what the hell does it do and what is the cost model. And I do a lot of high-performance coding where I care about the cost model, things that are going to run over gigabytes and terabytes of data. And it's really important that you not screw up the cost model. It's really important that you be able to write code that you can casually understand the cost model just at a glance. And in that case, every time you have a function call, there's a mystery. What is the cost of this call? And you have to memorize that mystery cost for every function call so you can look at the loop and know this loop has this cost or that cost, right? And you know, if you multiply it by a billion or a trillion, you know, the cost adds up really fast. So you better know what those costs are on those functions. And that's a semantic overhead that's not worth paying for nearly all the cases I've ever looked at. Um, I do, in fact, expose as part of a well-thought-out API uh, low-level variables that are sort of nakedly there without a getter because I need it to be part of the cost model that it's exposed and understood. And I ask you politely as part of the API, don't set this field. I can't make it final for various other reasons, but it needs to be read-only because it's parallel and concurrent distributed and runs a billions and trillions of times. And that's part of that API. The API is here's a naked field you can go refer to, but you may not set it if you do things will break.
fine, and I can't encapsulate it because it blows the the coating style. Um, what other reasons I don't use getters and setters? So it, they they I said you know performance cost model, but it's just a plain old obfuscation. You know what does this function call do? Well, okay, of course since IDEs and and you know Emacs since 30 years ago, I could like hover on a variable and and you know Emacs it's dot click and bang or not even click. I use a keystroke that's like way the hell faster and bang them at the def or the ref. Right? You can go back and forth between defs and refs. So it's not hard to look up the, the, what the hell the function means. The issue is simply the fact that I had to do that interrupted my flow of understanding. I can't stare at the code and under what, understand what it does on its surface. I have to dive into the implementation of each little thing and say, oh, it's a getter. Oh, it's a setter. Oh, it's a this or that. No, I don't want to do that. I want to look and know. All right, and so that's the that's the way to understand getters and setters. They obfuscate what you're really trying to get at, the meaning of the larger context. And then we get into people saying, hey, your reason you use a setter is you want to control who's setting a field. And I say that that's part of the API. And, and that's a case where if people are going to reach in and set parts of the API, then they're not following the rules on the API, or it's just the one user and they're just going to town on it and it's their implementation. It doesn't matter they go set it that way. It's all fine. How about people who want to say, hey, I want to set breakpoints on you know when you do a field update. Well, I've always been able to do that without having a getter or setter call, and I've always been able to add a setter function call at like a you know dot click rename function whatever button if I needed to go instantly add that darn breakpoint you know however it's done. That's not been an issue. I'm not going to put code back into the into the code repository that's got that kind of crap going on that was simply there so I could put a debugging statement down. No, 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 no. I just you know threw the bugging, got my bug figured out, threw the bugging statement in, fixed it. Pulled that thing out. That was just a temporary aberration. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to pivot a little bit here and talk about marker field, markers on field names. So as part of the whole getter setter madness, I, I name my variables in a particular way. Um, instance field variables have properties that are not true of function call parameters that are interesting to me, and I, I, I name them differently on purpose. So. Um, I'm going to get out of the way right away. Any static final thing, I use all caps. There's a couple of people who use a couple of different strategies. All caps is mine. Um, it's a common one other people use. I'm, I'm less interested in that one because that's not the common case of bugs. Instead, the common case of bugs is I have local variables within a function. I have parameters getting passed in, which are very similar, and I have instance fields, which are very different. And here's why they're different. The, the instance fields can be uh, multi-threaded available. Another thread can go hack them. They have state that I don't manage locally within the code or the function I'm looking at. The state is managed across this function. It's out of, my, out of the local code's control of what that state is. And like I said, it might be multi-threaded. Some other thread might be hacking on the state as well. So it has aliasing properties, it has sharing properties, it has access and update that are different, and I have to be aware of those properties. It's part of the really part of the API. And I give all instance variables there a leading underscore to let me know that it's an instance variable at a glance and it has the following rules associated with it. Whereas if it's an incoming function parameter or a local variable that's in the function, it's not aliased. It has no state outside of this function. No one else is dorking with it. I own completely with the semantic meaning of this thing. And in that case, I don't put a leading underscore in front of it. And I can stare at a glance at my code if I'm looking at local fields or you know instance variables. And I can tell them apart. And, and that's part of understanding, rapidly understanding large blocks of code and you know what their meaning is in a, in a greater context. Okay, so let me go around here and summarize real quick, and I'll be done. It's be a short blog. I don't use getters and setters. 
If I have a well-defined API, and that's a big if, and it's commonly not the case I have it, but if I have a well-defined API, that API will want to, in fact, encapsulate its internal state, and there will be methods that do things at the high level for the API. Some of those methods might have an implementation that happens to look like a getter and setter, but it's not a getter or setter. It's instead returning some high-level function behavior. Size of a hash table, or return me the mod count, or go update this thing, or you know, add a, add a food widget into the collection or whatever. It's a high-level thing. It may be implemented as a single field reader set, but that's not important. What's important, high-level concept getting updated, therefore not a getter, etc. Okay, how about, uh, you know, in other contexts? Well, if I'm moving fast and coding furiously, I don't want getters and setters because they get in my way of understanding and they get in the way of writing the code, and it's all my own local hacks. Anyhow, there's no API going on. And when I start having an API, I'm going to get an API, and that API won't have getters and setters pretty much by definition of a high-level API. It, it, instead, it's got whatever it does for a high-level API. So in my mind, there are no calls for getters and setters. Obfuscate the code, harder to read, harder to understand, hide the cost model, hide the functionality, um, and, and you either don't need it because it's internal implementation anyhow, just happens to span boundaries of classes, or you have an API that you need to go think on. And once you've thunk that API and sort of figured out how to do it, you don't have getters and setters, you have a high-level API. Okay, I've, I've echoed this enough times. That's it, I'm done, thanks. This has been Cliff Click, and may all your getters and setters be uh, vacuous. Thanks, bye-bye.